Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are in a series right now called Advance, and we're talking about how to advance in the kingdom of God. And we've been focusing on this one idea that with God, in order to advance in his kingdom, that up is down and down is up. In other words, things are backwards as how they would be. If you want to go forward with God, it's not going to be by some of the uh, habits and, and things that you've learned from the world because the world has it backwards in many ways. You fight to get up. You fight for your position. You scrape. You work. You do. You claw to get to where you want to be in life. Uh, but in God's kingdom, it's different. There's a different focus in God's kingdom because in God's kingdom, you're not living for yourself. So you scrap, you fight, you work, you do all of that, but you don't do it for yourself. You do it for him and you do it for others. So it's backwards. It's very, it's very different. And while you're fighting for him and fighting for others and, and with that same passion and tenacity, then he takes care of you. Yes. He makes sure that, you are, uh, that you're exalted and that you, that you rise as you take care of his kingdom first. So that's been this whole series. Uh, that was so good. I think we could just go home right there. I mean, that, that just kind of summed the whole thing up right there. But anyway, I guess we'll keep preaching because you got to get it. Sometimes you got to hammer it in, you know. But 1 Corinthians 3 is where we're going to start this morning. And I, and I say this, honestly, I don't think I say this a whole lot, all right? So I'm, I don't, it's not like I get up here every week and say what I'm about to say. So I hope it carries some meaning when I say that I honestly believe what we're going to talk about this morning is one of the most important things that you will ever learn as a Christian. It's so important because it's so foundational for everything else that you do as a Christian. All right, so just please understand that and prepare your heart and mind because what we're going to talk about today is one of the most important concepts in the Bible, and you have to get it. You have to understand it. I don't know that there's a more important topic than what we're going to talk about this morning other than the, the, the cross. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. Now, what Paul has been talking about in chapter 3 He's, he's kind of frustrated with the Christians in the, uh, the church of Corinth because they're, they're getting petty. You ever seen church people get petty over, you know, maybe family members get petty over stuff? The church people were getting petty, just kind of childish over some things. And one person's like, well, you know, I like uh, Pastor Josh more. And one person's like, well, I like Pastor Brandon more. And that's what they're doing here. All right, they're like, I like Apollos. I like Paul. I like Peter. Well, I, I get more out of Peter's sermons than I do Paul's or this, that, the other. And they're kind of getting petty about it. So he starts addressing that. And he kind of, you'd have to read the first 10 verses to hear that discussion. But then in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me. Now, that's where he, he, you have to start. That's where every believer has to start. Understand that each of us have been given the grace of God to do what we do. Okay? If you're a husband, you have a grace from God. That means an empowerment and an, an ability, a, 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 a supernatural endowment of power, skill, ability, anointing, the Bible calls it sometimes, to do what you've been called to do. Okay? If you're a husband... You have a grace from God to do what you've been called to do because it's part of your calling. If you're a wife, if you're a mother, you have a grace to do what God called you to do. What does that mean? It means you don't have to do it in your own strength. You have supernatural help to do what you're called to do. People who understand this are more effective. They do more for God. The moment they realize this isn't just me. 
I'm not just me by myself, Lone Ranger, you know, out doing things in the world. I have a grace from God to do what I've been called to do. So Paul starts there. He says, according to the grace that, according to the grace that God's given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, really, if you read the whole chapter, you understand him to be saying this. I don't have the same grace that Apollos has. I don't have the same grace that Peter has. I'm not trying to be Peter. I'm not trying to be Apollos. I'm trying to be Paul because I have a specific grace to do what I've been called to do. And if I compare myself with Apollos or, or Peter or any of these other guys, they have a different grace than I have. It's, it's comparing apples and oranges. One might be called to be a powerful preacher. One might be called to be a powerful writer. One might be called to reach the Jews. One might be called to reach the Gentiles. And whatever that calling is, they have a grace that matches that calling. If you get outside of that calling, you don't have a grace for it. You're on your own now. And see, a lot of people have decided that, that a lot of people have decided that uh, what they're going to do with their own life. And they'll do things because they want to do it, not because they're called to do it. And when you do that, there's no grace. You can always tell when there's no grace. Because when you're trying to do something that God hasn't graced you to do, it's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of depression. It's a lot of stress. The grace of God resolves all of that. Either you're not called to do it and there's no grace, or even if you are called to do it, you're not walking in that grace you're, st- you're trying to do it in your own strength, and you haven't learned how to work with and operate that, that grace. So Paul says, according to that grace that God's given me. All right, I'm not trying to be Apollos or Peter or any of these other guys. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Okay, And someone else is building upon that foundation. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about how uh, Paul was explaining this to his readers and then what it means for us. But for Paul, what he was saying is, I planted this church, Corinth. Okay, I planted this church. And when I, when I planted it, when I started it, I laid a foundation, which was Jesus Christ. I, I laid a beautiful foundation in all of you as believers in all of your lives. And then I went on to do other things. Now, Apollos is coming, Peter's coming, and they're building on that foundation that I laid. I laid this foundation with you as believers. Now, they're coming, and they're, they're building on it. How many of you know that happens in all of our lives as believers? Like, maybe you didn't get saved at one life. Maybe you got saved somewhere else. Maybe you came to the Lord in a whole other state, city, church. The foundation was laid. Hopefully, someone laid it well. And then every place you've been after that, Okay, every church you've been to, every podcast, every preacher you listen to, somebody's building upon that foundation. And that your, your structure as a Christian is continuing to grow and grow and grow throughout your whole life. So this is what Paul's saying. He said, listen, I laid a foundation. And whoever is going to build on that foundation, they need to do it with care. Okay, let each one take care how he builds. You must be very careful how you build upon this foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, he's going from most valuable to least valuable. You see that that process? He's saying when somebody builds on this foundation, it could be pure as gold. 
solid gold, just building upon the foundation, right in line with the word, right in line with the will of God. Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, all the way down to straw, which basically means it's worthless. And he's saying that there are things that people will try to put in you other, other, you know, you could in our in our context, you could say podcasts, books. I've seen a lot of books that should have never been written, just worthless, just like hey, just didn't say anything needed to be said, just worthless. And yet, trying to speak into other people's lives, trying to build upon their foundation, he said is like is like hay, it's like straw, it's worthless. So he said every person needs to be very careful how they build. Verse thirteen, but. Each one's work, this is the part I really want you to see this morning. Each one's work will become manifest. Everybody say manifest. For the day, you see that word's capitalized. That means the day of all days, the day of judgment. The Bible calls it the day of judgment, the day of wrath, the day, the return of Christ. He says, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So here's the revelation we get from Scripture. Every one of us are building as we go through life. We're building, we're doing, right? You're building families. We're building businesses, building homes, building marriages, building, you know, investments, building portfolios, building, 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 doing, 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 accomplishing. And this is what he says. He says, everything that a person does in their life is being built with a certain kind of material. It's being built with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. And in the natural, you can't really look at one person's work and tell what type of material that it's being built with. You can't look at somebody and say, man, look how successful they are. So, they've got so many employees. They've got so many investments. They've, they've done so well financially. They've, they've got a great marriage. They've got a great kids. He said, you can't really look and tell what kind of material they are, but the day of judgment will disclose what they had been building. And he says, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, this is a day that will reveal everything. It'll reveal all. It'll reveal whether you were doing what you were doing for you, just for your own selfish reason, selfish ambition. Were you doing it for God? Were you doing it for others? Were you squandering the time and the ability and the things that he'd given you? Were you, were you using it selfishly? Were you using it to build God's kingdom? Were you using it to build your own kingdom? Each one's work will become manifest. How many of you know no, no one gets out of this? There's not, like, there's not like one that can kind of hide in the back corner and everybody's slipping through and they kind of skip past it. Every single human being will stand before God and what they've done on earth, how they used their time, their ability, their energy, their gifts will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives the fire, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself 
will be saved. Everybody say amen. amen. Praise God on that part. So we're not talking about salvation here. That's a good thing, right? He, he's talking about believers that waste their life. And he says, you're saved. You're saved. And you got in what we might say by the skin of your teeth. You got in. You didn't suffer that level of loss. You didn't suffer eternal loss. But there are believers, based on this scripture, there are believers that are going to get to heaven and praise God they're saved and they're in heaven, but their entire life was wasted. Their entire life was squandered. It was wasted. And he says that you will suffer loss because of that. Now, you will not suffer the loss of your salvation. Praise God for that. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, shoot, as long as I get in, I don't care. <laughs> I just want to get in. Well, if God says it matters, it matters. I mean, how many of you know, he, he might know and understand some things that you don't understand. And when we get there, if he says there's rewards and he says there's loss, let me just tell you, that is going to be, uh, uh, that, that's going to have some meaning on that day. I don't know exactly what it is. There's a lot of other places in scripture that talk about what that could be and what that could look like. But here's what, what I know. If I look at the goodness of God, he knows how to reward those who have served him faithfully and lived their life for him as opposed to themselves. And so it's going to matter on that day. And this is one of the hardest parts to get into people, to, to like really hammer into people because Compared to earth, I think so many of us just have the mindset, man, just to get in, just to get into those pearly gates, all right? If, if, if the moment I get in, if God just hands me a broom and all I do is sweep dust on the streets of gold for the rest of eternity, I'm good. I know that can be the mentality, but first of all, that's selfish, right? I mean, that mentality of, well, I'm not going to do much here as long as I get in. I mean, that, what about all the other people? Uh, what about your master that has a job for you to do here on this planet? So it's not just about the loss and the rewards, but he does mention that. So if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. That means that all will be revealed. Everything will be revealed. In Luke chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus said it this way. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. I'm trying to scare you a little bit this morning, if you could. Nothing will be covered up. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Did you know that no one ever gets away with anything? There's so many things that happen in this life that are just wrong. Injustice. Looks like people get away with it. You know, think specifically about some trials throughout the decade where people co committed these horrible crimes and then they had these high-priced lawyers that got them off. You know, I say got them off because they didn't really get off. They may have got off with man, but how many of you know they have an eternal judge? And they'll have to answer for it. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden. That will not be known. I know some of you got a lot of things running through your head right now. Uh-oh. Nothing covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Oh, my. He said, therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I, I know what y'all are thinking because it's the same thing I'm thinking. You know? Lord, have mercy. That's what it means to become manifest. Each one's work will 
become manifest. Now, remember, we're not talking about salvation. These are not things that determine whether you're saved or not. Okay, what determines whether you're saved or not is whether or not you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and whether or not you've been born again accordingly. But these things matter. And for many, he says, there's going to be great sadness on that day because think about this. Every day you get up and you spend your effort, your energy doing something. And here's what I'm asking you. What you're doing every day is it going to pass this test on that day? Is it going to pass this test? Now, it doesn't mean that, because sometimes when people hear this, they think, well, what does this mean? Does that mean I can't, like, go work a regular job or, or build? No, not at all. That, that's not what this is about. This is about are you living for God or are you living for yourself? That's what it comes down to. There was a... An instance that I had probably when I first got into ministry, this would have been probably, uh, gosh, probably 2004, somewhere around there. Uh, one of the churches I was working at, <clears throat> there was a, a missionary that had come from Brazil or Argentina. I can't remember which one. I think Brazil. And there's a missionary that had come to the church and... He brought this guy along with him. He was uh, not ministering or anything like that. He was just there to help the missionary. And I was responsible to get this guy back to the airport. And the airport was several hours away from our church. And so the, one of the cities that we were passing through in order to go to the airport uh, had the headquarters of this very famous TV evangelist from back in the 80s. And this TV evangelist was had worldwide recognition. I mean, there's probably not a person, very few people on the planet that had not heard this person's name. He was very, 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 very famous. Large, large ministry. And we were passing through that city, and the Brazil, and, and this evangelist had had a moral failing, very public, very in the, uh, you know, in the spotlight and all of that. So he'd kind of fallen out of favor a little bit in my lifetime. But, uh, this Brazil guy apparently was saved at a revival ministry that this guy was doing uh, way back, you know, long ago. And so when we were traveling through the city where this, this evangelist headquarter was, the Brazil guy, the guy from Brazil, he asked me, he said, can we stop and visit this man? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know him personally. I don't know that you can just walk up and knock on the door and say, how are you doing? He said, well, can we try? I said, okay, sure. I said, I'll take you. Uh, we got time, you know. So uh, we, we pull up to the headquarters, and my, my mind was blown. Like, I've n I'd never seen anything like this. Now, you got to remember that I was, I'm raised in church around ministry my whole life, but I'd never seen anything like this, okay? I'm talking just city blocks of buildings and libraries and Bible schools and training centers and churches and just city blocks that this person had had built on both sides of the street and just, you know, enormous uh, everywhere you look. And it was mind-blowing to see what had been built. And so, uh, long story short, we're, we're sitting there in the parking lot and we're like, well, what do we do now? I mean, the guy wants to meet, you know, he wants to meet him and we're sitting here. And 
this is how it happened. We're sitting there in the parking lot, and we see this guy pull up, this evangelist pull up in his vehicle and get out and walk in the building. I'm like, well, at least we've laid eyes on the guy, so now we know, you know, we know he's here. And then I remembered that I'd went to Oral Roberts with a guy that was this person's grandson. And I didn't really know him personally, but I knew some people that did. So anyway, we made a phone call. They were like, he called his grandpa. Hey, these weird people are out in the parking lot. They want to see you. So we go in. We go into his office. Man, you know, the Brazil guy, it was just, he just gets on his knees right in the office. And he starts praying for the guy, just praying for him, praying for his ministry. And I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm still trying to process what's going on here. You know, at the end, we take pictures and hang out and all that, and then we leave. And... After I leave, I'm, I'm thinking about all this, and I'm processing, processing this. And, I, and for years, I've thought about this experience. And I, it's, I couldn't tell you all the lessons that I learned from it in this one thing. But this scripture that we're reading this morning, um, it, it comes to bear because a lot of people would look at this person and they would go, well, is this person a man of God? Is this person or not? And they would judge it based on, well, he had some moral problems and issues, and they built all... And some people would look at, well, yeah, but look at all the people that are saved. Yeah, but look at his personal character. Well, look at all the buildings and all the things that were done for God and all the people that were reached. Yeah, but look at all his character flaws of this, that, or the other. And you go, well, is he, is he for God? Is he not? Is God happy? Is he not? Here's what I can tell you. The day will disclose it. The day will disclose it. I mean, you don't always know. You don't, and it could be that parts of it come through as gold. And it could be that parts of it come through like hay. And they're just burned up. It's very difficult to look at someone's life and go, oh man, that's not a person of God. You know, their whole life is, is wasted and they're not really meant. They're not doing what they're doing for God. Let me tell you something. When you see somebody in the spotlight, Maybe uh, let's just use ministers as an example that has a moral failing of some kind. Of go, oh, well, that, they weren't doing anything they were doing for the right reasons. That's usually not true. I mean, there might be a, a part of their life that wasn't correct, obviously. And that part may pass through and burn up and smoke. But, you don't, but God looks at every, God knows every moment, every person they've helped, every moment they've taken time to be with and help. And it's hard to look at another person's life and go, well, are they doing what they're doing for the right reasons? And really, it's not even your job to figure that out because you should be looking at your own life and your own self and worrying about that. But whether it's you or whether it's someone else, here's the, here's the point. We are all moving rapidly towards this day. Please don't ever forget that. And this is the one thing that I, I was telling you is so important and why it is one of the most important topics in the Bible Every one of us are rapidly moving towards this day where we will stand before God and how we spent our life will become known and made manifest. And it will pass through this fire that he's talking about. And Paul is telling his readers this because he doesn't want them to suffer loss. He doesn't want them to stand there and their whole life have been wasted. And it all burn up right in front of their face. So what about you? How are you spending your life? Because it's not wise to build something that will be burned up. What kind of things will survive this fire that he's talking about? Number one, those things that built the kingdom of God. Those things that advanced the kingdom of God. 
and we're done with the right motive, which is love for God, love for people. It's really that simple. Okay, you say, well, can I work a regular job? Can I own a business? Absolutely. As long as you understand that the increase that God brings in your life from that business is not just so that you can go live the good life. Doesn't mean you can't live the good life. Doesn't mean you can't be blessed. But if you think that your business growing and, and God blessing you financially is just so that you can be happier, just so you can have nicer things, you have missed the mark. And, and if that's how you spend your life, just increasing, increasing, growing, bigger house, nicer cars, more land, more property, better vacations, on and on and on, okay, the problem with that is, is that all of that's going to be burned up because that was just spent selfishly on you. Now, does it mean you can't have nice things? No, of course not. Not at all. But there is a difference between growing your business so you can just increase personally versus a person whose mindset is, I'm here for a reason, and I'm here for a short time, and if God increases me, then the kingdom's going to increase as a result. And if I increase financially, then my giving is going to increase. If I increase personally, then others around me are going to increase. Because I'm not going to just use everything God's given me so that I can increase and bless myself while the kingdom of God, you know, struggles. No, and maybe it's not financially. Maybe it's a gift. How many people have taken, this, this always has uh, caught my attention, how many amazing singers and artists, when you hear their story, they, they, they got their start in church. I mean, how many people in the, in the spotlight of today, some of our most popular artists, you know, that, that make all these beautiful records and songs and things like that, how many of them, if you really hear their story and they tell their story, that they got their start in church? It's so many. And I think about that. I'm like, they, they got, you know, it started where God helped you develop that gift and you were using that gift to serve God's people and now you've left God and his people way behind and this beautiful gift that God's given you has become all about you and your fame and increasing your personal status and comfort and, and fame. Well, that's the kind of stuff that's going to be burned up. That's the kind of stuff that's going to be burned up. Things that should have been used to glorify God should have been used to build the kingdom of God. I've, I've had people in this church that just were dead set, convinced that God wanted them to go to Nashville and become, you know, get record, a, record an album. And, and, and I've heard it. I've heard it long before I ever started pastoring this church. Every one of them think the same thing. Well, if I get a big platform, I'm going to use it to give glory to God. Never happens. Never happens. It's used to bring glory to themselves. And I, I actually told one person, I said, let me tell you something. If you use your gift in the church of God to serve the people of God, let me tell you that you could go to Nashville and you could, you could have concerts packed out with 10, 20,000 people and to, to use that gift in church to serve the people of God is more significant in the eyes of heaven than having some concert packed out with 20,000 people. I understand in the eyes of man how it looks, but in the eyes of God and in the eyes of heaven, there's another way it looks. And it's how he looks at it. But see, we're so caught up in the world's mindset, with the, the pride of life and the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, 
the desire for fame, the desire for comfort, the desire to be wealthy, the desire to be important. If you let those things drive you, you're going to end up building a life that everything is burned up when you stand before God. Versus if you realize, like we read in the offering with David, everything I have has been given to me by you. And I'm going to use every ounce of what I have to build the kingdom of God and to honor God. Whatever, whatever tools I have in my hands. Some people are good at speaking. Some people have musical gifts. Some people are good in business. Some people are good at serving. Some people are good at encouraging. It's not about what it is. What do you have? What is in your hand? And how should it be used to build the kingdom of God? Because if you're only using it to build your own kingdom, it's going to be burned up on that day. That's what this scripture is telling us. He warned us, he told us in advance, because I believe it's the will of God that it not burn up. I believe he wants us to be rewarded. Now, let me pause and say this. To fully understand what we're talking about this morning, you do have to read the whole book, okay? We're talking about a snippet this morning. But to fully understand what is going on and what God expects of you, you really have to read the whole book because when you read the whole book, you get a balance of what this looks like. For example, Abraham was very blessed. Abraham was blessed on every side. Jacob was blessed. David was blessed. Okay, Many of us are blessed and we're living the good life. I've said, I've said so many times to my wife, I said, I wouldn't trade my life with anybody on the planet. I love my life. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my church. I love how I get to live. I, I am enjoying life. So it doesn't mean because you're serving God, you're going to somehow be less and not blessed and, you know, constant sacrifice. And that's not what it means. So you have to read the whole book to understand what this looks like. But I think the difference comes down to are you submitted? Who's the final authority in your life? In other words, if I want to do this, okay, whatever it is, if, I, if I'm ready to do something, do I consult God or am I the final say on it? If I want to move, if I want to build, if I want to change jobs, if I want to, do I just consult me because I'm the Lord and King or do I submit it to Jesus Christ and say, God, is it time for this or do I need to put this on the shelf? Because if I need to spend this, do this for your kingdom, I'm ready. Whatever you, whatever you want me to do. Romans 14.10 Paul's getting at it again. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, he includes himself in that. We will all. Paul said, I will stand before the judgment seat of God to give an answer for my life. So he, when they're talking about judging, he says, why are you judging? What, what business do you have judging another person? He said, first of all, they're going to stand before God. Second of all, you're going to stand before God, and you have your own stuff to answer for. You got time to judge somebody else's life? You got time to judge somebody else's life? That must mean all of your stuff is in order, and you're ready to stand before God and give an account. He said, no. He knows better. He said, no. You don't have time to be judging somebody else's life. Trust me, you need to direct that inward because you have enough of your own stuff that you're going to give an answer for. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee 
shall bow to me. Everybody say, every knee. knee. There's not one that will not bow before the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. What does that mean? It means you're going to answer for how you spent your life. You're going to answer. Why would we give an account? That's a, that's a, a strange term if, if we're in charge of our own lives. That's when we love to say, well, it's my life. No, it's not. Well, it's my life. That's something teenagers love to say. Well, it's my life. Not really. Not really. It was gifted to you. You could say it was loaned to you, and you will have to give an account for it. You don't give an account to someone who has no authority over you. See, God has authority over you and over your life. Have you ever been questioned by someone or someone pried into areas of your life that they had no authority and you had to tell them, hey, this is none of your business? (laughs) You ever told anybody that? Hey, this is none of your business. What are you saying? You're saying, I'm not accountable to you. I don't answer to you. Why are you in something that is none of your business? But see, that's not how God looks at himself and you. That's not how he looks at the relationship between you and him. When he looks at your life, it's because he has authority and ultimately you're accountable to him. So on that day, no one's going to be able to look at God and say, hey, this was my business. This is my life. That's not how he sees it. And he's the final say on it. What does it mean to be accountable in the first place? Well, the word accountable, as you might expect, is an accounting term. And it means to answer for and be legally liable for where the money went. If, you have to, if you're accountable and you have to give an account of how you spent $1,000, that means you're going to have to present documentation or receipts to show where every penny went. In other words, it wasn't yours, but you were steward over it. You were manager of it. And at some point, somebody's going to come ask you, hey, what'd you do with my thousand and how did it get spent? And if they have questions, you need to be able to show the receipts and say, well, here's what I bought. Here's why. Here's where it went. That's what it means to be accountable. And do we understand that that's what the day of judgment is going to be like? And a lot of us are going to be like those that have been caught off guard and they're scrumbling through their purse. I know I put that receipt somewhere. I mean, I threw, I don't know. Well, where'd this thousand go? And where'd 5,000 go? And where'd that go? Well, it's somewhere. I'm sure I spent it on something good. It's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty because we're going to give an account. As a church, we're blessed every year, uh, well, most years, that there are any kind of disaster, hurricane, tornado, droughts, you know, famine, things like that that happen nationwide. We're blessed to be part, uh, partnered with some people that give us a lot of money for disaster relief. None of that money is for the church. None of it's to be used for the church. It's to be you, but we're a, we're, we funnel that and help distribute that to other places. So when these, these monies come in, we get to help you know, send money here. And a lot of times it's to a lot of different organizations and every bit of it has to be kept track. You know, this went here. Here's how it was used and on and on and on. Why? Because that's not our money and we're accountable to somewhere, someone else for how it went and where it went and how it was spent and we have to give an accounting for it. Imagine if, you know, one day you, you win the lottery, you get 10 million and then along with it they give you a little booklet 
And after about five years of blowing money and spending this and houses and cars, and all of a sudden you decide to open the little booklet and it says, uh, this money is not yours and all of it will have to be repaid and you will have to give an account for how every penny was spent. And you go, I should have read the book <laughs> when I started. Imagine that feeling though. Imagine that, that feeling of dread of going, oh my gosh, ah." wasted a lot of money. Now the IRS is coming knocking at my door. Please understand that many are going to stand before God totally unprepared, totally unready to give an account for their life. And it's going to be like that. You go, you know, you you have all of these good things in life and praise God for it, but listen, it wasn't given to you for you. It was given to you as a servant and as a steward of someone that you're accountable to. Everything in your life, you are not the final say. You are accountable to God. And there will be a day of accounting. And some people are confused about that because they think, well, if we're saved and everything is forgiven and we don't have to worry about it. Well, again, notice Paul included himself in that when he said, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, he says, so then each of us, including himself, each of us will give an account for himself to God. We already established that it wasn't for salvation, but it's still very important. Last passage I want to read this morning, Matthew 25, 14. This is how, this is how God sees it. Matthew 25, 14. He's, he's trying to explain it to his disciples. He says, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. That's, that's a sum of money, not a literal talent or gifting. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he had received the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Do we see what's going on here? Do you see Jesus is, is trying to get, he's giving a parable to help us understand the way the world is set up. He says there's a master and there's servants. The master entrusted Something that needed to be steward, stewarded to his servants. And then he left for a period of time. And after a long time, he came back and he said, okay, it's time to settle accounts. It's time to find out what did you do with what I gave you. He's, he's explaining it this way to let us know that there's going to be this same day for you and for me. You are left here on this planet with a lot that you're responsible for and a lot that you have to steward. And there's going to be a day where all of that is returned back to God and with interest. There's going to be a day where you answer for what you were given. And notice he says that it was given to them according to their ability. Some people don't have much ability, so they don't have much to answer for. Some people have a lot to answer for because God's given them a lot. He's given them a lot of talent. He's given them a lot of resources. He's given them a lot of influence. And the more that you have, the more you're accountable for. 
This is a reality that we haven't maybe been taught well enough that the more we have, the more we're responsible for. So he said, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, what you're going to see in the following verses is that this is going to be a beautiful day for many people. This isn't a day just to be scared of. This isn't a day just go, oh, judgment day. It's a day that there's going to be loss, but there's also going to be rewards. So if you're living faithfully, if you're living a life of service to God, if you're living as a steward of what God's given you, this is going to be a beautiful day. So this is meant to be an encouragement, too, for those that, that are doing this already. I believe there are many across the body of Christ that are already doing this. They're already living their life this way. They're already stewarding well, and, and they live their life every day with this mindset. So it's not just a day to dread. It's also a day of excitement if you're doing this right. So after a long time, he came to settle accounts. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. Please notice also that this is not unreasonable. Not like the guy had gotten five talents and he turned it into 45 talents. He just doubled it. He's like somebody gave you $5 and you turned it into 10. It's not that hard. And the master's not unreasonable. He doesn't go, well, I gave you five talents. You had all this time. You had a whole lifetime. What'd you, what did you do? You didn't do anything? You only made five talents more? That's not what he said. The five talents, he gave him five. He gave him five more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. So we're not talking about something that's, that is ridiculous or overbearing. I just believe he wants to take what you've got and just apply it to the Lord and live for the kingdom of God and let it grow, let it multiply. There's no pressure that you've got to like blow this thing out of the water and become you know, some great famous person for God. No, this just, this is just means living a life for God and doing well and doing faithful with what you have. Same thing with the next one. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, now, now remember those rewards that he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, for those that have been faithful, he said, they're going to be rewarded. If, if what they've done passed through the fire, they're going to be rewarded. Well, you see the same thing here. Notice he's entering into the day of judgment. He gives an account, and then now he's entering into eternity. But yet the Lord says to him, he says, you have been faithful over a little, and now I will set you over much. So God considers what you're doing here a little, and what you're going to get there much. And he says, this little bit that I've watched you, this little bit that I've entrusted you with, is going to have eternal consequences. And that, you've got to get that in your heart. You have to understand that, because that is the driving thing that will drive you, it will push you every day to make good and right choices for the kingdom of God. If you don't realize that everything I have today is just a, it's a test, it's a stewardship for something greater that's coming in eternity. And a lot of us have no idea what eternity is going to look like. A lot of us, when we think about eternity, we think about, you know, clouds and uh, half-naked babies with harps, you know, playing, and that's 
But let me just tell you, uh, that's nothing what heaven's going to be like, and that is not a biblical understanding of heaven. God has a plan for eternity, just like he had a plan for the earth. God has a plan. This is just the trial run. This is just the trial run. And how people live and exist in eternity, what they do here has something to do with that. And that's what he's telling them here. He says, you have been faithful over a little. In other words, I watched you on your time on earth and the little bit that you had, and you were faithful. He said, therefore, I will set you over much. In other words, there's rewards, and it matters what we do here. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. So again, not, not crazy, not out of control. He had two talents. He turned it into four. So he was faithful with it. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he who also had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, so let me pause here and say, all this guy had was excuses. And I, I, I worry about this because I think there are a lot of people that are propping themselves up with excuses. You know what excuses are? Self-deception. It's, it's telling yourself a lie that in your own mind makes, makes it okay what you're doing. But... In Scripture, the excuses never fly. So in his mind, all he has is excuses. And he's been propping himself up this whole time saying, Man, I haven't done anything with this. I've totally wasted this. But when I tell him my reasons for it, he's going to understand. When, when I explain to him why I did nothing with this, it's going to make sense. And he's going to go, Oh, well, that makes sense. And so don't worry about it. Have you ever seen somebody who had propped themselves up with excuses and lies, and it made so much sense in their own head. And then when they had to explain it to someone else, they're just bumbling over their words, and you could just see the look on their face like, this makes no sense. It sounded so much better in my head. It just, but now that I'm having to say it to you, it just it sounds really dumb. And you almost don't even have to tell them half the time. You don't have to go, that's dumb. You could just kind of sit there and look at them. And they just say it themselves. They go, I, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> it's going to be like that for a lot of people. So all, all this guy had was excuses. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, listen, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And in his mind, I know what he's thinking. At least I didn't lose it. At least I didn't squander it. But the point is, is that you did nothing with it. And if I'd known you were going to do nothing with it, I would have given it to someone else who was going to do something with it. So it was wasted either way because it could have went to someone who was going to use it for the kingdom. So I'm sure he's expecting the master to go, oh, well, at least you didn't, at least you didn't squander it. Come on in. You, everything will be fine. But that's not what he said. He said, you wicked and slothful, that's another word for lazy, you wicked and slothful servant. If you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then why ought, why, then why, then you, excuse me, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So now we get a, 
expectation of the, we, we get an understanding of the master's expectations. He says it would have been good enough, would have been the bare minimum, just to put it in the bank and let interest gather. That probably means he wouldn't have doubled it the way that his friends had, but at least there'd have been some increase and there'd have been some, some interest on it. That's like the bare minimum he could have done. He said, at least you could have done that. Maybe he wouldn't have heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. Maybe he'd have heard, all right, that's okay. But, you know, he still would have, he still would have made it in. He said, you ought to have invested with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received that what uh, was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. Why? Because he's productive. I already know he's proven himself faithful. Take it from him. You know, that's not the society we live in, by the way. It's the opposite. Most of the time they try to take it from the most productive and give it to the least productive. That happens. That's not God's kingdom. It's not how he operates. He says, take it from the least productive and give it to the most productive. Because they're actually going to use it and do, and do it right. He said, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received it with So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten for to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now when we get a full explanation of this from Paul, again, we're not talking about salvation. But in this case, uh, this person seems to go to hell. He says he's cast into outer darkness and that there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound any, anything like heaven to me. Uh, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says there'll be no tears in heaven. So we're not, this guy didn't make it. Now, did he not make it because of uh, the, the parable of stewardship here? Or was he just not saved to begin with? And if he was not saved, then what this means is that every person is going to give an account to God. Not just believers. Every person is expected, every human being on the planet is expected to do something with their life. And he says, not, uh, you know, not being a Christian and, and not believing in God or not following God is not an excuse. Like, you're still going to stand before God and give an account for your life. And you're going to answer for it. Because whether you acknowledge that it came for, from him or not is irrelevant. Whether you acknowledged him as God or not is irrelevant. It was God who endowed you with life and breath and ability, and everyone will still give an account to God. Why will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? This is a strong phrase used throughout the Bible. It says, on that day there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that? That is the realization. That is when the full revelation hits home about your situation. That is when the full revelation hits home about how you squandered your life and how you had opportunity to make choices and make right and didn't do it. And now you're about to enter into eternity according to those choices that you made here. And that revelation is going to cause weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not going to be a pretty sight. If you've ever seen someone who is so heartbroken and so devastated that they, they lose all composure, because I've seen it, unfortunately, as a pastor with people that lost someone that was very close to them, maybe a child or a husband or wife, and when they get that news, 
the, the loss of composure, I would akin it, I would, I would make it say it's similar to this, what he's talking about here, the weeping and gnashing of teeth where I don't care about my dignity anymore. My emotions have just overwhelmed me. That's what he's talking about. When people realize, when that revelation and that understanding hits them, you are about to enter into eternity based on what you did with your life here, and there's no changing it now. There's no going back. The time for repentance was there, but it, now it's over. And what you did, you've made your choices, and now you're about to enter into eternity. That's going to cause a lot of this weeping and gnashing of teeth when they realize that their life was squandered. And now they're going into eternity without God. It's not going to be a pretty picture. Now, what a lot of people do is this is uncomfortable to talk about and unpleasant to think about. So a lot of people, their, their solution is just to ignore it, not think about it. It's kind of like those commercials where the puppy dogs are in chains and they're crying and they got scars on their head and I'm not going to do anything about it. So I don't want to watch it. I don't want to see puppies like crying and then super sad music playing, you know, watching the puppies. I don't want to see that because I know I'm not going to do anything about it. And I, so I don't want to see it. You know, and that's not why I watch TV anyway, see sad puppies. I want to be entertained with something else. So you just ignore it, right? You turn a blind eye to it. And that's okay with puppies, by the way. But with this, you don't want to do that. So that's what a lot of people do, though, is they, they see this in the Word. They hear it. They hear a sermon on it. And they go, oh, my God, I'm accountable to God. But it's real easy to go out the doors and think about, man, where are we eating barbecue today? Who's, who's playing the game? You know, what we're going to do with the afternoon? It's real easy to just move on and, and not let it change you, not let it resonate in here. But this is a truth, as I told you in the beginning. It is one of the most important truths of the Bible is that every person is going to stand before God and give an account for their life. And listen, that day is coming a lot quicker than you realize, a lot quicker than we realize. Because... From a human standpoint, in the way we pass time, it seems long. But in the eyes of God, in the eyes of eternity, he says it's like a breath. It's very quick. And it's over very quickly. And you're going to stand before God. And so in this very, very short time that we have, how many of you think that we can live it for God? How many of you think it would be worth it of living your life for God instead of for yourself? It's going to matter more than you can possibly calculate on that day.